You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, everyone. We are so happy to have you with us during this time together where we can fellowship over the glorious uh, gift that is distilled spirits. And the thing that we love most, and that is theology, the study mm. of our King Jesus. Uh, we are happy to have you with us. Blake, how you been, my man? It has been a week, but you know what? I'm excited to be back here recording episode number 52, and we have a winner for our giveaway. At some point during the episode, we'll announce it, so stay tuned. Subscribe now. Oh, wait, no. That's baby. <laughs> Smash that like button. Hit the notification Turn on notifications. <laughs> Every YouTuber ever. Are, are you guys glad we don't have a YouTube like like show? We're here mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, good old podcasts. Good old voice only um, podcast. Anyway, guys, uh, anyway. for those of you that are on Patreon that can see... Oh, um, yeah. We have some awesome new merch, which I'm sure you've heard about. At this point, mm-hmm. shopdistillingtheology.com. You can get yourself a beanie, a hoodie like the one that Blake currently has on. Mine's not here yet. I'm sad about it. Uh, long sleeve shirts for both men and women. Fleece blanket to cozy up by the fire with this lovely Covenant Theology is Distill Theology mug that you could also see if you're on Patreon. <gasps> and more. So head on over there. You can just go to uh, distillingtheology.com and hit on the shop button or go to shopdistillingtheology.com. Ooh. Yes, I am excited. I am excited for this uh, particular beverage we're drinking tonight. Blake, could you tell me a little more about it? In the foothills of the Alps, in Piedmont, Italy, there's a uh, producer of fine wines and... Uh, particularly of aromatized wines, known as Koki, um, C-O-C-C-H-I. Uh, the recipe that we are drinking is the same recipe that uh, the founder, Giulio Koki, used in 1891. Um, and there have been many imitations. A long time many, ago, Blake. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's bottled at 16.5% alcohol by volume. So we did trick a little bit. We are actually tasting something that was uh, fermented, not um, distilled. However, it often pairs well with distilled things. I know, right? Now, there is one thing I want to... uh, Is this fermented theology? Oh, shoot. (laughs) Um, So one distinction, though, sometimes people, and I made this mistake, uh, so maybe I'm the only person that ever made this mistake, but I used to think, I thought uh, vermouths were fortified wines, and I was mistaken about that. So fortified wine is something like port or sherry, where the wine ages in the barrels, but then afterwards you take it out of the barrel, you add more sugar, and you add a spirit. In the case of port, you're adding brandy. And then you stick it in the barrel for another period of time. The wine comes out uh, usually in like the, the 20, uh, 20% or higher alcohol by volume. And with fortified wines, they're actually good um, once you've opened them. Like Unlike a regular wine, um, because the, the alcohol by volume is above 20% or 19, 20, somewhere in there, 
you are able to keep it open and the oxidization doesn't degrade the quality. It doesn't devolve into vinegar. Aromatized wine, however, is different, and that's what vermouth falls into. That's simply a wine that's been flavored with fruits, spices, floral qualities, um, and it does not have a much higher alcohol by volume. So once you open aromatized wine, you do want to stick it in the refrigerator. So if you've ever had a really bad martini or Manhattan, more often than not, what happens is you go to a bar, you order it, and the bartender will pull a who knows how old bottle of Martini Rossi sweet vermouth or dry vermouth off of the bar and pour it in and it's vinegary and nasty. It's like drinking a bottle of red wine that's been sitting open for two months. Like it's just Mm -hmm. not a good idea. Um, I have three bottles, three different bottles of vermouth in my fridge right now. (laughs) Well, that's good. Right. And, and storing it in the fridge, it will keep for a very, very long time. Um, so that's the one thing I just wanted to say about vermouth. Make sure that you are refrigerating your vermouths. Now, one thing interesting about this particular one uh, it's infused and aromatized with quite a few things. Oftentimes, you'll see that they have um, wormwood or gentian root uh, and a different combination of things. But this particular one, Barolo Quinato vermouth, is infused with... It's red wine, so it's a rouge-style vermouth or a sweet vermouth that is infused with quinine bark, grand wormwood, rhubarb, root ginger, gentian, uh, with a final addition of aromatic spices. Uh when I worked at the cocktail bar in Albany, the Speakeasy 518, we would use this for our high-end cocktails. I would mix this with like scotch-based cocktails because um, it would complement the flavor of the scotch. It wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't take away. Where other vermouths won't do that, but you pay, you 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 get what you pay for. I was just telling mm-hmm. Justin, a liter of this stuff costs seventy-five dollars retail, um, so it is expensive, uh, and. Yeah. This is, I didn't get a liter. I got a much smaller sample. But anyways, uh, Justin, what do you smell out of the gate with all of those uh, good things? Out of yeah, the um, I've been sitting here for a while. Smell, it smells delicious. Um, there's definitely uh, rhubarb. Um, it's yeah. very, it's very earthy, kind of like, uh, which which I imagine is the, the gentian root, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe cardamom. Yeah. And there is like some cherry, like dark, dark yeah. red, like yeah. stone fruit sweetness that's coming from the wine, uh, the wine base in large part, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not terribly complex, but it's very sweet. It's very um, appealing. Yeah. Maybe a little bark. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it, it definitely gives you that uh, that sort of vineyard feeling. Uh, you yeah. Know, which you would expect. Yeah, it's very it's very clean too, which is something that a lot of sweet vermouth styles tend to be a little bit overly sweet. Mm. Um, and this one I find extraordinarily clean. And uh, I'm just a huge fan. Like I do drink this neat occasionally, but usually I will put this in a cocktail with something like Ardbeg Ten Year, um, oh, or if I have a nice scotch, it would be dude, good, <laughs> dude. Whenever you come visit, um, I will make you a uh, a Bovardier with scotch mm. and this and with a, a campari substitute and oh man it mm. is majestic it would almost turn like me into your a hair millennial oh snap <laughs> well on that note uh let's get in and taste it so we can jump into our topic for tonight cheers dude i can feel that in my sinuses mm. and like in my ears like mm-hmm. like my whole my whole like sinus is just opened up with that Oh, that's good. It's it's warming, in, in, but not in a not in warming like a whiskey way. It's a very subtle warmth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very pleasant. It's very perfumey. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely get like those like fresh. It tastes like fresh picked grapes. Yes, in the back, yes. like it's very so clean. So. It's like, so clean. like the kind of grapes that almost kind of dry out the back of your mouth. Yep, super super good. The ones with the seeds in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's Dude. really good. You know, okay, so I've never been a big wine drinker, mm-hmm. but I've only had a few white wines and a couple of red wines that I didn't like. Um, I would drink this absolutely mm-hmm. anytime. Mm. Pour this in a glass, and I will sit down and. Have a great time. This is, but it is also more like a spirit in that the quinine, the gentian root, the wormwood, Mm -hmm. the bittering elements that it's aromatized with kind of slow, slow the sip down. Where like a regular wine, you're still going to be sipping it compared to beer, but you're not going to sip it like you sip a spirit. Um, but this you can sip. I I would almost say you could treat this more like a brandy or a rum, um, in the way that you sip it, but it's a much lower alcohol by volume, but you still get a lot of bang for your buck. So, yeah. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, it is pricey. Like I said, they do ser- they do sell uh, 375 milliliter bottles some places. Um, Dude. I, I do not mix just anything with this, though. This is like what I use for, uh, again, like Ardbeg 10 with a Campari <laughs> substitute or like uh, a Highland Park 12 with this for uh, a Rob Roy. And then I'm using better bitters. Like you okay, want yeah. to pair, like you almost want to pair your spirits up to this to be worthy of using this <laughs> in <Yeah>. your cocktails. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, you for know? the price for sure. Um, right. Just dude, uh, drinking this, I'm just thinking about, just imagine the wine that Jesus made. Mm. How mm. would that have tasted? <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Literally heavenly. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, dude. I'm also getting a little bit of coffee and cocoa in the middle mm. of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like, uh, and I'm almost smelling a little bit of that, like fresh ground coffee. Like in the morning when I brew my coffee, I grind it fresh every day and I get that, like that fresh scent when it kicks up in the air. I, I'm almost picturing like a, like a, like a morning in a, fr- in a French kitchen, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, where everything, where there's, you know, fresh bread being made, mm-hmm. the coffee's on, mm. you know, you can, oh man, that's, that's good, man. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and again, for a for a vermouth like that's complex usually vermouth has some complexity but it tends to be a little bit more one note because it's often oftentimes at least in america it's used uh to complement a cocktail or to cook with so it's Mm -hmm. not something that necessarily needs to be terribly interesting on its own and there are plenty of inoffensive ones i really like the dolan dry and dolan rouge vermouths for cocktails they're affordable they're clean i really like koki again from koki their um uh vermouth amaro it's a little bit drier and um, and then they have their uh, ver- uh, Torino vermouth, which is sweeter and a little bit more candied and a lot cheaper, too. Sure. Um, but this is just a treat. I'm really glad this we is got delicious. to enjoy this. Tonight. Absolutely delicious. Uh, oh, this man. Top notch quality right here. This is fantastic. Well, I'm glad you like it, man. It's it was fun. we were talking about how many samples of things we have, but it was literally just like stuff we both had laying around stuff. People mm-hmm. have sent us. Um yeah, it's whenever exciting. we've gone to like friends, we'll gather samples of yep uh, whatever they might have. <laughs> well, we we exchange right. We bring stuff. Yeah. They give us some stuff. You know, yep. this works out, man. Uh, some listeners have sent us in some stuff. So thank you guys who've who've sent us spirits. We're super. Oh yeah, big time, big time. Well, anyways, as we uh, head into the topic tonight, uh, let's read from the Valley of Vision. This is page three oh eight. Truth in Jesus, life giving God, quicken me to call upon Thy name. For my mind is ignorant, my thoughts vagrant, my affections earthly, my heart unbelieving, and only thy spirit can help my infirmities. 
I approach thee as father and friend. My portion forever, my exceeding joy, my strength of heart. I believe in thee as the God of nature, the ordainer of providence, the sender of Jesus, my Savior. My guilty fears discourage and approach to thee. But I praise thee for the blessed news that Jesus reconciles thee to me. May the truth that is in him illuminate in me all that is dark, establish in me all that is wavering, comfort in me all that is wretched, accomplish in me all that is of thy goodness, and glorify in me the name of Jesus. I pass through a veil of tears, but bless thee for the opening gate of glory at its end. Enable me to realize as mine the better heavenly country. Prepare me for every part of my pilgrimage. Uphold my steps by thy word. Let no iniquity dominate me. Teach me that Christ cannot be the way if I am the end, that he cannot be redeemer if I am my own savior, that there can be no true union with him while the creature has my heart that faith accepts him as Redeemer and Lord, or not at all. Amen. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So, Justin, what are we talking about tonight? You know, theology and stuff. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Uh, I'm excited. Um, We're going to be going through... Uh, a side-by-side, actually, <laughs> of both Westminster and the London Baptist, uh, three, one, uh, articles one and, or, uh, yeah, one and two, um, mm. which I'm excited about. Yeah. Uh, Blake, I why guess... would we, why would we talk about that? I, you know, <laughs> we, so we've obviously been uh, talking about, uh, over the past several episodes, um, we just finished our, our Tulip series talking about some of the Calvinistic doctrines mm. uh, that we believe in soteriologically speaking. Um, and so there's a few that I think are important to kind of rehash a little bit, uh, particularly because that um, these are doctrines really that set us apart from other theological streams, mm-hmm. um, as it were. And so uh, hammering home on those, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing at all, uh, yeah. obviously. And so, uh, we wanted to talk tonight a little bit about God's decree, right? <gasps> God being in charge in decreeing all things mm. that come to pass, all things, all of them. Well, and this also kicks off from last week where we read from the Heidelberg Catechism mm-hmm. uh, question one about our only comfort, because ultimately where does our comfort stem from is our Savior Jesus Christ, is the fact that God is who he says he is. And that he is consistent, that he is decreeing and working all things for good. Well, but what does that mean? Um, and this is where, when you have Westminster Standards in the 1689, you get a little bit more detail. This will kind of highlight some of the difference between a confession and the catechism. So mm. I guess I'll just read three article one, and you can read three article one from the London Baptist, so we can just have that side by side, and yeah. then we'll do two and two. And then we can go back through and hit the verses like we did last week, because I was, I was super blessed by that, so I'm excited to hit that again tonight. Yeah. Uh, so... Chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith of God's Eternal Decree, Article 1. God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so is thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, 
nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. The London Baptist adds a little bit here. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. Hmm. Um, And we have a lot of uh, scripture here. Um, we do. Do we want to hit two, or do we want to just stick on yeah, one and see, where, uh, see how far we go? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's. Well, yeah, let's hit two, and then we'll go back. Yeah. And um, right, because when we were doing Calvinism, I think we picked up more in Article Three where it talks about foreordination, and mm-hmm. two is kind of a bridge between you know general uh, the decree of God and getting specifically to the decree of election. Mm-hmm. So Article Two reads: Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions looking at you Molinists, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future, looking at you Arminians, or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. In other words, God isn't acting contingently or in response yeah. to what he's seeing happening. Yeah, and, and the Baptist Confession is exactly the same on, on yeah. Article 2 there. It's um, almost word for word exactly the mm-hmm. same, and it's true. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. All right, well, so, let's go through some of these... Uh, these scripture references in article yes. one. Yeah. Um, so the, the first verse referenced here in the, in the 1689 is Isaiah 46, 10, oh, man. Uh, which starts out pretty, pretty boldly. Um, and, and I love it. it it's a perfect reference uh, in Isaiah for um, exactly what we're talking about here. It says declaring the end from the beginning. Mm. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. And isn't that, yeah. isn't that the God that we serve, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he declares all things that haven't even come to pass mm. and they will come to pass at his pleasure. I mean, yeah. that's, I don't know. It, you have to, you have to, you have to do like some sort of theological somersaults yeah. uh, to to come up with, you know, like an open theist God or a God mm-hmm. that learns or a God that doesn't know, <laughs> yeah, uh, or that's conditional, you know, right? Because that and flies right in the face of 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 the second portion of that. Um, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, right, yeah. and then. What's the next reference in 1689? I'm just looking at Westminster over here. Yeah. The, uh, my the next my reference. first reference is uh, Romans 9.15. Okay, so I'm not, uh, I'm two or three verses away from there. Okay. Um, we also hit up Ephesians one uh, eleven, oh. uh, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. All things. Uh, According to his own counsel, right? Yes, yes, precisely. Uh, Hebrews 6, uh, mm. verse 17, wherein God willing more abundantly to shew unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, 
right? His unchanging counsel. Now, if we mm. go back in Ephesians, he works all things according to the counsel of his own will, his unchanging counsel of his own mm. will. Um, confirmed, uh, confirmed it by an oath. And then it jumps to Romans. Uh, so if mm. you want to pick up in Romans 9.15. Romans 9.15 reads, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so there we have the divine prerogative, right? God is going to do what he pleases, you know, to echo Isaiah, right? Mm. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion, right? God is not obligated to show mercy because if he is, then you're not thinking mercy anymore. You're talking about justice. If you're talking about what's owed and yet God is pleased to show mercy to whom he wills. Yeah. For his own pleasure, for his own counsel, for his own the counsel of his own immutable will, right? And then in verse 18 it says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. What? And that's specifically talking about Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Yeah. in that immediate context. But it doesn't say, Oh, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but he doesn't do that ever. He, he never does that anymore. It's like, nope. God has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. Sure. Um and that all fits in. And I think Westminster in 1689 captured that well, right? God from all eternity did. So in other words, before time began, before anything happened, before there was t- temporal stuff, if you will, before there was change in the universe or before there was a universe, right? Before there was time, mm. from all eternity, God, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, in other words, it's not arbitrary. It's from his own will. It's his own wisdom, <laughs> freely and unchangeably. In other words, nothing coerced God. Uh, and nothing can change God's plans, uh, ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And so all things fall under this. And the last reference here uh, in the Westminster for this section is uh, Romans 11, verse 33, which reads, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable mm. are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Mm. Yeah, there, there's several more references here uh, in the London Baptist that I'd like to touch. Um, goes to James one thirteen. Oh wait, is that? Oh, this is for the next. Uh, no, this is all still ever. article. Oh. This is all article one. Oh no, but I mean the next line in it though. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I got lost there. Yeah. Let no man say when he is tempted, "I am tempted of God," for mm. God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man, mm. right? Um, so when we're talking about whether or not God is the author of sin, mm-hmm. which we know he isn't, yeah. uh, he doesn't even have company with sin, um, he entertains it not. This is an important thing to, to recognize. So, so the scripture speaks plainly that God um, doesn't tempt anyone with evil, mm-hmm. yet he also decrees all things that come to pass. Right, so there is a sense of um, paradox there, in the sense mm-hmm. that uh, God has decreed all things; nothing surprises God because He has decreed the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega, right? He mm-hmm. is the beginning and the end. Um, yet, He has permitted uh, yeah. sin mm-hmm. and wickedness and evil and violence and all kinds of terrible things. Uh, mm-hmm. But we are right. Um, we are responsible for those things, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't offer violence to us. Uh, you know, it doesn't take away uh, the freedom of of the secondary causes, right? He is yeah. the first cause. He has the mm. the reference point, right? 
the uh, yeah. wait for it, the principium, as it oh, were, there it is. of all things, right? He he yeah. he is the cause, the first cause, and so um, we still have uh, freedom, as it were, mm-hmm. to act within our nature, and and we right. are responsible for that. Yeah. Did you want to get that other section from James there, one seventeen? Uh, I don't have that in mind. Oh, gasp, dun, dun, dun. It's all right, I got it. Because uh, then the next uh, in the Westminster is First uh, John 1, 5. So uh, James mm-hmm. 1, 17 reads from the ESV, every good, and, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Mm-hmm. And then over in First John chapter 1, verse 5, it reads, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so that little clause there, yet so is thereby neither is God the author of sin, right? God in his sovereignty is making a sovereign choice to decree these things to come to pass. Uh, I heard R.C. Sproul explain this in a way, and I'm going to do my best to, to recap what he said because I think it, it, it helped me to, to wrap my mind around it, right? He said, okay, well, let me ask you this, right? Some, some evil, terrible tragedy happens in the world. Does God have the power to stop it? Mm. Right? And if we answer no, then we're not theists. Like, not even sure. We're just not theists if we say God doesn't have the power to prevent evil. We're not sure. theists. Sure. Does he have the authority to prevent it? And does he have the knowledge to prevent it? And again, at each of these points, like we're hitting on a different divine attribute. So if we say he doesn't know about it, then, or he doesn't have the power, then he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient, right? Uh, right. He's not omnipresent <laughs> if he can't get there. You know what I'm saying? So like we, yeah. we end up in a, in a denial of the revelation that God has given of himself. So we can't do that. That's not an option. Mm-hmm. So what are we left with? Well, God has the power, authority, knowledge, and wherewithal to stop things from happening. But he doesn't. So what's happening there? Well, is he jumping down and puppeteering evil to happen? Absolutely not. And you highlighted a very key thing there, Justin, which people would go back to our uh, Total Depravity episode, our Fall of Man episode, where we talk about this sin nature, right? Human beings are acting according to our nature. And what is God doing? He's, by his sovereignty, mm-hmm. he's permitting us to act in this way. And he's doing so sovereignly, right? He's not simply, uh, it's not because he's incapable of preventing it. Uh, it's not because he's passive, and it's not because he's surprised by it, right? And I think that's important to to keep that distinction. And you'll hear different things from different um, Reformed people about this. And it's difficult, and that's why I'm I'm trying to tread lightly as we talk about it, because it is, it is a hard thing to wrap our minds around. Um, and to a degree, there is mystery there of how is God totally sovereign, and yet we recognize that our natures, like we act according to our nature, and we are judged morally based upon our actions right what are we doing well we're guilty before a holy god and that's why we had to have the mediator we'll you know we'll get into that more in atonement stuff but um anyways all that to say right god is sovereign and he is free and yet in his sovereignty he is not the author of sin and then the Mm -hmm. next line nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And the references yeah, from that, yeah. I, I was going to say, I have them both pulled up here now, so yeah. I can compare the two. Um, the 1689 references here, Acts 4, uh, 27 to 28, mm. which I think is a, a great example of, of exactly this, right? 
It says, For a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Right? So mm. uh, he does not offer violence to the creature. These these men, uh, the Jews, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the Gentiles, Herod, Pilate, all of them were responsible for their actions. However, it was God who, by the counsel of his will, determined Mm -hmm. beforehand that those things would be done. Um, So he established this decree (laughs) that, um, you know, I think about uh, also when when we're talking about the establishments of of God's decree, like he, he... uh, foreordained walks, good works that we should walk in them, right? Mm, um, he established yeah. them and we walk in them. We're still responsible to do that. Um, right. But he he's the one who is is the one who who founded those things. He established mm. those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead if you want to. I was going to say, I love that record in Acts. Like, yeah. It's so, it's so on the note. And the other one here is Acts um, 2.23 mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of Peter's sermon. And he's speaking to the people that had that had crucified Christ. So right. again, the same Peter who said, "I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him." <laughs> now is standing before the very people that that crucified him, and the, and the crowds and the people that had had been a part of this. And he says, "And this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you mm. crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men." Mm. Right, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, not just mm-hmm. oh, it happened. It was unfortunate. It was a pity. Yeah, God couldn't it, jump in and stop it. it. And it also doesn't say, you know, this plan that God decided to make because you made this plan mm-hmm. when He looked down the corridors of time. Right. He saw this is what you were going to do, so He formulated a plan. No, this was the definite plan that He had decreed from before the foundations of the of the earth. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, there's a few other well, references up there. Yeah, yeah, both both uh both uh confessions here reference John 19:11. Mm. Uh Jesus answered, "Thou could have no power at all against me mm. except were it given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin." Right? So <laughs> Jesus speaking here which I I I think often um this this is one of those passages of scripture that I that I come back and I think about now, uh, looking at our current conditions, right? Um, all these all these tyrannical rulers uh, in places all around the world at this particular moment, uh, they have no power except that which God has already given to them. Um, he 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 rises up leaders and he takes them down, and it's all because God has decreed that these things come to pass. And there's a great comfort. Uh, there's a great comfort in that. And uh, recognizing how, <laughs> sure, things may get scary, right? I mean, mm-hmm. think of the Christians right now in China, right, that are being yeah. persecuted. Uh, the, there's great comfort knowing that their persecution was decreed by the God who loves them and who will care for them and who will mm-hmm. provide for their needs. Um, yeah. You know, our needs are not always what we think they should be <laughs> but god mm. knows us better than we do and he knows what our true needs are um mm. yeah I, I don't know I, I find that particular passage very comforting oh yeah man 
And we also have here uh, from Proverbs 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Mm-hmm. In other words, like the the actions here are, are God's choice. And another thing I wanted to hit on with the um, God and the author of sin and the, and the freedom of of, of will according to nature, right? Or the, the natural ability to choose according to our desires as opposed to the moral ability to choose God, which hit that up in our earlier episodes. But, um, I heard a a lecture about this. I think it was Sproul again, talking about Job, right? And you Mm -hmm. read the record of Job and Mm -hmm. what happens, right? God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, you know, Job only worships you because you gave him a big family and you gave him all these, all this wealth and all this property and, and power. And let me, yeah. let me, let me add him. Let me take that stuff away. And, and you watch, he'll curse you. And God gives Satan permission to do this. You know, you can do all that, you know, sure. T- you have, you are permitted to take as, this much, but you can't lay a hand on him. Mm-hmm. And so what does Satan do? You know, the storm comes and kills Job's children in the house. Uh, and then the, uh, the Chaldeans come and steal the flocks and kill his men. And only one servant survives to come and tell him, right? And in this sequence, of, and, and as these tragedies are unfolding for Job, right, what's happening here? Satan is guilty because what's Satan's motivation? Satan's motivation is to, is to slander Job ultimately. Yeah. And God is vindicating Job and himself. Satan's trying to slander Job and God. Satan's motivation is utterly wicked in this. The Chaldeans, God didn't jump into there in there and stir up evil in their hearts and say, let's go get Job's flocks. You know, like (laughs) they wanted his, like they were sinful, wicked people. They wanted his stuff. They coveted his stuff, but God was protecting him. And so as soon as the Mm -hmm. the, the shelter was down, as soon as God's provision and providential uh, hand was removed from staying that wickedness, Satan riles them up and says, Hey, the walls, let's go get his stuff. God didn't have to create any evil in their hearts. Their mm-hmm. hearts were already corrupt and wicked, like they were totally depraved. Mm-hmm. They just acted according to nature, and God simply removed the restraints and allowed them to work in this. And so, yeah, God is blameless. On Judgment Day, the Chaldeans that did that to Job aren't going to get to say, well, God, you you are sovereign over this. I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have anything to do with that, <laughs> you know. And then and then finally what happens, right? Joe, uh, Satan says, well, no, but if you take his health, and then God says, all right, you can do that, but you don't kill him. And so what we, what, a couple of things from Job that are really important for me anyways, that, that were transformative for my understanding of this concept of, of the sovereignty of God, his providence, his decree is God, is God remains sovereign even over the most disastrous evil. And yet that evil is only permitted to go as far as God allows it, mm. which became a source of great comfort to me. Yeah. Right? That, that no matter how bad things are, and they may be terrible. They may be, they may be to the misery point that Job was at. Lord, what have I done? Show, you know, where, where Job is crying out to God. They may drive us to our knees. They may drive us to be angry. They may drive us to many things. But in the midst of that, yet what has God protected me from? Yet what has God only, I am only suffering as much as God has allowed me to suffer and no further. And again, mm-hmm. to what we talked about last week with Piper's quote, right? There's no meaningless suffering. Um, and that's a great encouragement and a comfort to me at the very least. I don't know how 
that's those are my thoughts. Yeah, I've often thought about that. You know, especially in t- I I love the story of Job, especially in times mm-hmm. of uh, great stress or discomfort or suffering in my life, because I think number one, I don't have it as bad as he did, <laughs> and mm, second of yeah. all, uh, consider the fact that you know Job was considered a, a friend of God, right? And mm. uh, you know, a, a servant of God that 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 God. I mean, th- consider the fact that God would even say, consider Job, mm, right? Yeah. Imagine right. God saying that about you, how, how, mm. what kind of man you must be, uh, mm. for God to say something like that about you. Um, and to, and to see that God would take from him everything that he held dear, right? Mm. Everything that he, I look at my life and I think of all the things that I hold dear and hold precious, um, yeah. you know, and that God could, rightfully take all of that from me right and i couldn't still curse god right because who who am i right um well even at the outset you see job's job's righteousness and then he says you know naked i came into this world naked i return mm-hmm. the lord giveth the lord taketh away blessed be the name of the lord like there, yeah. there's what else do you say in the face of tragedy Right. When you recognize the goodness of God and you recognize that all things come from him and that he may do with it what he pleases. And I don't, I do not. And that's the whole point of that, especially the last chapters when God answers Job mm-hmm. out of the whirlwind. What yeah. do I say to God? Yeah. Right. Right. Well, exactly. Um, oh man. It's, it's a powerful reminder of uh, our utter inability uh, really to do anything, <laughs> mm. you know, right. we make all these plans and we do these mm. things left and right every day. And, and, and they're just totally meaningless in the grand scheme of things, as far as like whether or not they're going to have an impact on, I mean, they're, they're, none of our plans are going to have an impact on God's decrees. Um, and, and praise God for that. Mm. Um, there's one more reference that I want to hit on from the 1689 here. Ooh. Um, jump on that. Yeah, it's Ephesians 1, uh, 3 and 5. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Right? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Mm. Right. Our salvation, our hope in life and in death (laughs) Mm. is in Christ alone. Mm -hmm. All of the works that we do, everything that we consider are all things that God has decreed for his own glory Mm. and for our good. Yeah. Hmm. Man, that's good. And that's the thing, right? This shouldn't be a a room for boasting. Mm-hmm. This should leave us humble and in awe of our God, right? That is the point. Right. <laughs> and if we miss the soli deo gloria, the all for God's glory alone, if we miss that, we've, we have... We've missed it all. <laughs> right. We, we have failed. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We failed the, we failed the thing. Um, jumping into Article 2... I'll just read the first line here and then hit up, hit up those, uh, them verse references. 
Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions. So God knows what will come to pass, right? And what the first reference here from Westminster is from 1 Samuel 23, uh, 11 through 12, which reads, Will the men of Kaliah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Kaliah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. And so God has a perfect knowledge of what is going to come to pass, right? Or in this case, what, right, Saul's coming. And if you go to these guys, they will surrender you. God knows the heart. Um, I don't know what references you have there in the 1689 for that first line. Uh, the only reference for that particular first line uh, is also shared in the Westminster, it's Acts 15, 18, mm. um, which is, I, I think, intentionally left simply here because it's very, um, it's a very blatant verse, right? It says, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world, mm. right? God knows all of his works, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course he does. He's God. Yeah. Well, then you also have here um, from Matthew 11, Jesus's woes, where he's mm-hmm. denouncing the cities where he did the works, mm-hmm. right? Uh, again, about this, these um, knowing the possible outcomes of things, right? Woe to you, Charzin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven or will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. So again, this had the things that if Jesus had walked about Sodom and done the signs that he did in Capernaum. What he's telling them is Sodom would still be here if I did these signs there, but it's going to be more tolerable on the day of judgment in the land of Sodom than for Capernaum. (laughs) That's a judgment there. And then the second line here, Mm -hmm. uh, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future, right? So we've established God has seen, God knows the future or possible conditions, but line two there yet, Hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw his future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's like, for the Westminster, it's all from Romans 9. Yeah, uh, same here. Um, (laughs) And you know what? I'm just going to read Romans uh, 9, 11 through 18, the whole section there. Uh, I have it pulled up in the ESV because it's better than King James to read. (laughs) Um, All right, it says this. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, looking at you papists, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Uh, Paul, of course, predicting Uh, the Roman response, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will 
or exertion, mm. but on God who has mercy. Ooh. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Mm. So that, uh, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Um, I mean, I, it, it, every time I get there, I want to read the rest of the section too, you know. Mm. Um, Dude. Who, who yeah, buddy. He, yeah. Why does he find fault? Who can resist his will? Uh, Oof. Wrecked. If, if it's not plain here, <laughs> uh, who has declared the end mm. from the beginning, uh, who has uh, power over even uh, our own will, uh, who decrees whatsoever come to pass, and mm. whom uh, rises to power, and who falls, and all the things that we do, right? God is sovereign over every mm-hmm. jot and tittle of it. Uh, I, I always love that uh, that um, illustration of the maverick molecule, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from Sproul, yeah. you know, if there's yeah. even one molecule, one molecule in all this universe uh, that is outside of the control of God, then God is not sovereign. Right. Um, and again, to, to reiterate, what yeah. we're not saying in the sovereignty of God is that God is you know, actively puppeteering every single moment in history. But what we are saying is that Mm -hmm. everything is under the control of God, that he knows the end from the beginning, that Mm -hmm. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present. And what else we're saying in this, right, is um, we talked about this earlier in election and reprobation, right? But there is a difference. It's asymmetrical, right? God is actively creating faith in the hearts of the elect, and he's merely passing over the reprobate and leaving them to their debased mind, which, right, Romans tells us that, right? Like, Right. He gave them up to their passions because that's well, what they wanted to do. And we see this in the old we see this in the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. In, in Egypt, right? The Passover meal. Mm-hmm. Right? The Passover uh literally is to pass over those who don't have the blood, right? The blood of who? Right. The blood of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Christ is the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Right? If we don't have his blood on our doorstep, <laughs> on our on our post, mm-hmm. uh those are the we're the ones whom he's protecting. In, in saving and he's yeah. going to simply pass over uh in in our case it's reversed you know he's passing over uh us from judgment though yeah. um and in vice versa mm-hmm. uh he saves the elect because of the so when he comes to judge the earth right he he's right. passing over us in judgment because of the blood of the lamb yeah um and he's well, just letting me. he's letting the yeah yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that reminds me. I think I referenced this a few weeks ago, but that clip of D.A. Carson preaching um, mm-hmm. where he talks about the Exodus and he just says, like, you know, there's the two guys. Uh, basically, one's really nervous and is like, I don't know, man, like, this is scary. You see all the stuff that's going on. I don't know if I can handle this. Like, uh, and the other guy's like, bring it on. Like, I put the blood on the door. I'm fine. And uh, he asked him, like, did you put the blood on the door? Well, like, of course, you know, I'm not a fool. Like, I'm yeah. still scared. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. And he's like, you know, who lost their eldest son? Right. <laughs> and the answer is neither. neither. <laughs> right. Because it's not about the the uh, veracity or not veracity. That's not the right word, but the uh, intensity of the faith. Yeah. But of the object of the faith. Right. And it's about being right. covered by the blood of the lamb. Like that's <laughs> the point. Um, yeah. Whether or not. And, and that's to me is also an encouragement when I go through seasons of doubt. Right. Like when I struggle and when I doubt and when I'm tempted to, to wrestle with assurance and all these other things, I remember that it's, and we talked about this last week, it's not about how I feel ultimately. Right. 
because right. it's not me, right? What does Jesus say in, in John's gospel? I will lose none of the, whom the Father has given me, for no one can take them out of my hand, right? The Father who gives mm-hmm. them to me is greater than all, and no one can take them out of the Father's hand, mm-hmm. right? We are held by the Father, right? We're held by the Son. The Spirit is our seal and our guarantee, as we were talking about, like, wh- who condemns, right, yeah. from Romans 8? Why do we lose hope when our hope is secured in Christ and not in ourselves? Yeah. Right. I know. I I think about people often don't grasp this idea. It is the God of the universe who created all things, who is holding on to us. Mm. Mm. The God of the universe. And we have his ear. We can talk to him and speak to him and he listens. Oh man. And he loves us. And he cares for us, and he keeps us, and he protects mm-hmm. us, and he preserves us yeah. for our own good. Who could possibly know what's better for us than the creator of all things, who decreed mm. all things that come to pass? Mm. Right? And how can how can there be anything more comfortable than knowing that it is God who has decreed all things that come mm. to pass? That This doctrine that is so hated amongst people who hate Calvinism mm. is the one of the most significant doctrines we have in biblical theology mm-hmm. that god is god <laughs> mm. all right right all right i don't know well and that's right uh sproul had done something in in his uh one of his lectures where he was going through the westminster and he read uh article one here and but he only read it up to the semicolon so he said god from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass and he asked the class, how many of you agree with that statement? And, you know, there were people who raised oh, their yeah. hand and some who yeah. didn't, right? And uh, he says, you know, those who didn't, you know, you don't worry, you, you know, there's no worry about recriminations. Like nobody's going to, you know, assault you or anything. But I just want to know how many of you are atheists? <laughs> and the people that did raise their heads for the first question, you know, who said, no, I don't affirm that statement. They were beside themselves. What do you mean? How many of us are atheists? No, not any. And he goes, you know, there's just one thing I don't understand. <laughs> Why those of you who said you don't affirm this statement didn't answer yes when I asked if you were atheists, because this statement isn't even, in, it's not inherently reformed. It's not even inherently Christian. It's a theistic statement. <laughs> it's a statement of belief in God. It's mm-hmm. not even uniquely Christian, much less uniquely reformed. Um, the, the belief that God is sovereign is simply the belief that God is God. Right, and anything less than that, you lose this transcendence that defines who God is. Right. Uh, and and if you take that away, you don't have God. You've no. got a, a a superhero, effectively. <laughs> right. You have, yeah. You have a demigod. Which it well, and, and honestly, you read a lot of the Greek mythology, right? Like the the gods and the titans of Greek mythology are more mm-hmm. like superheroes. Like yeah, they. Well, it's the same with Norse mythology as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. You know, oh, we you should have, do an episode have, about that. I would love to. I would love nothing more. Mm. Um. Yeah, it's like, you know, you have these, you have these basically men who were great heroes, yeah, right? Uh, Great warriors, um, really um, sort of taking what the the pinnacle of what a man would be ideally and Mm -hmm. a a woman ideally in in, in a, a, of course, a a reprobate worldview and then Mm -hmm. putting them on a, putting them on a pedestal and saying, this is what a God is. Um, yeah, and right. I, I guess how how <laughs> what a perfect representation of pride in the sense mm. that right yeah. we are taking ourselves and worshiping a yeah. perfect version of ourselves that doesn't mm. exist 
Um, right. We're, we're taking, <laughs> Oh, talk about the ultimate worshiping the creation rather than the creator Ooh. right is is all these these uh, mythological um fantasy creatures that uh, that people worshiped but yeah yeah um yeah it's an interesting insight into the psychology of the of the reprobate <laughs> oh yeah well and i think right we 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 recognize that we have to worship something Right. No matter how, oh, how inherently we, get. we do, yeah. we, we all worship, even those who don't believe in a God, right. quote unquote, uh, worship themselves, yeah. right? They're, they're worshiping yep. a God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of their own making like mm-hmm. all the others. Oh, snap. Got him. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, that was a really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, diving mm-hmm. into Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter three, article one and two, uh, discussing the doctrine of God's eternal decree. I, I think it's good to do a little side by side too, because you know, yeah, sure. a lot of these, you know, a lot of podcasts are either one way or the other, mm. and uh, we're just split right down the middle. True, true. Uh, for now, for now. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Well, on that note. Uh, somebody is about to win a copy of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, Truth for All Time, the letters of John Calvin, and a Distilling Theology mug. Covenant Theology is Distilled Theology. It's time. Drum roll, please. And the winner is, out of 200 contestants, Travis West. Congratulations, man. Congratulations. Oh, man. That was our biggest giveaway yet. Congratulations. Uh, We're excited we're going to do more giveaways in the future. So uh, if you guys want some more giveaways, join join us. Let us know what you think. What what, what should we give away next? Oh. 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 All right, Justin, what are we doing next week? Well, next week is Christmas. (laughs) And we're going to talk about Christmassy things. Whoa! Is that because legal? of Christmas. Uh, well, I mean, according to uh, according to some reformed reformed Christians, probably not. But uh, I personally love Christmas. Oh, I think it's a wonderful thing. Right. Uh, yeah, and I'm excited potentially for what we may be sipping, um, mm. which will be a bottle aged eggnog. <gasps> Oh, yeah. Yes. Now, I love eggnog. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. And having it bottle-aged will be a thrilling experience. Oh, dude. This eggnog. So, we bottled this up uh, the week of Thanksgiving. Mm. So, yeah, man. It is... Uh, it's pretty great. It's homemade. Uh, so, we had the eggs, the sugar, all the different dairy, and uh, all, all of that, the nutmeg. And then we added the rum, the brandy, and the bourbon. Uh, and dude, I, I tasted it right when we made it and it was still better than just like regular store-bought eggnog oh, yeah. with, with liquor added. But then to say, we, we opened up one <laughs> bottle after it had sat for two weeks and whew, dude, all the flavors just congealed. So I, I hope we're able to taste that. But if not, we'll, we'll let you guys know next week what we're tasting. But anyways, on that note, we are still proud members of the Society of Reform Podcasters. This is a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reform perspective. You want to hit us up with that roll call, Justin? <laughs> I certainly do. We have some wonderful teammates. Oh. Uh, starting in order of alphabet, because why not? Assurance of Pardon, the Bobcast, 
Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, The Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, which is a new show. Welcome to the society, gentlemen. The Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Seeker Start, Sippin' on Theology, and the Steady Anchor Podcast. You can get all of those at reformpodcasts.com. You will have a never-ending stream of lovely, theologically sound, family-friendly content uh, for your commute or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Wow. That's a lot of special, Justin. That's so much special. Blake, where else can people go to see what we're doing right now, literally as we speak? Well, if you would like to join us on Patreon, starting at $4.99 per month, less than the cost of a grande uh, fancy latte at Starbucks, you can get discounts on all the new merch in the Distilling Theology online store. You get access to extended conversations, our entire back catalog. Uh, as well as early release episodes because we live stream them usually almost a week in advance. Uh, so we live stream right when we record. Uh, you will also get some exclusive bonus content. And if you join us at $14.99 per month after the first three months of support, you will receive an exclusive patron-only mug. Uh, and we're working on some extra video content that is coming at you. Very soon. Very soon. Very soon. Very, soon. very, very soon indeed. Almost, but not yet. Already and not yet. And Justin, if people are not quite ready for patronage, if they want to just dip their toes in the distilling theology world uh, or the, the, the kiddie pool, if you will, where can people join us for more distilling Well, theology? take off those flip-flops and dip those tippy toes <laughs> right into our Facebook group where you, can, <laughs> where you can hang out, have some wonderful conversation with a whole bunch of sage stage Calvinists. Oh, uh, We have an amazing group of mm. nearly 600 people now um, where we talk about theology. We talk about spirits of the distilled variety. Mm. Uh, we also... And the Holy uh, Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. We also talk mm. about um, books. We talk about memes. We do all kinds of fun things over there that all mm. the hip kids are doing these days. Uh, also, check us out. Uh, like our Facebook page where you can uh, get updates on the podcast, mm. um, links to all kinds of fun stuff. Check us out on Instagram mm. at Distilling Theology, where you will have a never-ending stream of beautiful books, lovely whiskeys. Maybe someday you'll see our face there. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, so check us out there. Uh, just go to distillingtheology.com and you'll see links to all of our social media right there. We even have a Twitter. That's right. We have a Twitter. Wow. We are, boom- okay, we are basically boomer. boomers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so guys... Oh we super appreciate you sticking around. We love each and every one of you with our whole hearts. <laughs> so remember, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Glory. Thank you guys for joining us. Now enjoy this sneak peek from the full version of this episode available exclusively at patreon.com slash theology. Die Hard is absolutely a Christmas movie. It definitely is. Uh, and I'm going to be absolutely. watching it this Christmas. Now, I, I would I would go as far as to say that Die Hard being a Christmas movie is, in fact, uh, the reformed position. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, that's making the episode tag. Uh, 